What's up, guys? Welcome back to Storytime with Uncle Reddit. My name's John, and this is r slash Tales from Tech Support. Well, happy 4th of July to uh, my American listeners, followers, subscribers, or should I say happy Independence Day. Be safe out there. Enjoy time with family. Remember why we celebrate the day. Not sure it holds that much meaning anymore for a lot of people, but it does for me. And at the end of the day, we get to watch some really cool fireworks, as long as it doesn't rain. Pardon the background noise. You guys say you never hear it, but <laughs> there's vacuuming going on. There's cleaning up. There's the dog barking at whatever. She's been fed. She's She needs nothing. I don't know why she's barking. All right, let's do some tech support. The black box or why you shouldn't let your DevOps leave without a handover. I'm a sysadmin slash database admin slash developer, jack of all trades, master of none for a manufacturing company. The company used to have a pretty loose interpretation of what IT meant, so a number of us were working in various departments doing IT-type roles, but without any real cohesion. About three years ago, the DevOps guy left with very little notice. There was very little handover, no documentation, no forwarding address. It wasn't seen as a big problem because he hadn't delivered on the major project that he'd been working on, and nothing seemed to rely on the code that he had written, at least at first. A year later, a new IT slash systems department was created and my role was reclassified to come under that heading. The new boss was keen to do a risk analysis of the systems and in doing so, we discovered the black box. Our old DevOps had left a small workstation plugged in connected to the network, not on a UPS and with a note stuck to it saying, critical infrastructure, do not turn off. I plugged a monitor in and was greeted with an Ubuntu TTY login screen with an issue message of do not turn off. After doing a bit of digging, it turned out to be running an application server for a piece of custom software that allows our machines to load manufacturing data. Without this software, none of our machines would run, and the business would grind to a halt. Big red flag, top of the risk register. Job number one was to try to find a way to bring this thing back if it went down. I dug DevOps's workstation out of our storage room, but it was locked down tight. I remembered that we had an EC2 instance that we had been paying for, but this had been terminated. My boss and I began writing a spec for a replacement, as it looked like we weren't going to be able to find the source without turning the machine off and accessing the drive. About six months after the problem was discovered, we still didn't have a replacement solution in place. I was losing sleep over this thing because nobody knew what would happen if it went down, and power cuts were forecast over the winter. The dev we'd hired to write the replacement quit, and the contractor we hired to take over ended up getting canned because he was unreliable. It seemed like this thing would never get replaced. A few more months go by, the winter cuts never came, and I was feeling a little more relaxed about the situation. I arrived at work on a lovely sunny morning, and as I'm walking across the car park, taking in the sunrise and the fresh spring air, I see our production manager running towards me. The machines are all down, I can't get anything made. Ah, oh, bugger. I went straight to the room where the black box was, and it was off. Okay, no worries, it's probably going to come back on, right? I fired up the machine, called the production manager, and asked him to try again. No dice. Bugger. Time to get my hands dirty. Since the machine was already offline, we could be a bit more forceful than we could when it was online. I ran a port scan on the machine to see if there was anything running that we could try to use to break in. GitLab and Zabbix were installed, a good starting point. Even better, the machine had been firewalled from the internet, so no updates had been installed. After an hour or so of Googling, I managed to find a couple of exploits that could get me to the point where I could change the root password. Accessing the thing was only half the battle. Getting it up and running was the priority. I took my laptop over to the machine and tried to process jobs while watching the logs. It took a while to spot the problem, but eventually I noticed that it was trying to access a mount point that wasn't connected to anything. The system had been configured to start the Docker containers on boot, 
but the network share that they needed to access wasn't set up to mount on boot in FSTab. One little omission by DevOps in its configuration prevented the system from being able to work after a reboot. I set up an AD account for the machine, gave the account access to the relevant share, and then configured FSTab to connect on boot. Back in business. By 11.30, the plant was back up and running, and by the end of the day, I had migrated the application to our new server and repointed all of the machines to the new instance. The black box was switched off and put in the junk pile ready for recycling. Sorted. A couple weeks go by and I'm having a rare quiet day. I figured it was a good time to dive into the junk pile and wipe the drives. I took one of the junior techs down to the junk room and explained the process. He had never done it before, so I offered to walk him through the first one. On the top of the junk pile was the black box. Why not start with that? I plug it in, plug in the Security Race USB, and hit the power button. Nothing. Check the cable and outlet. Both are fine. Change the cable. Still nothing. Check the standby voltage on the PSU. Any excuse to use the fluke multimeter we expensed. Nothing. The PSU had given up. Black box had given up. I pulled the SSD, put it on the to wipe pile, put the lid back on, and brought it to my office where it has sat on the shelf ever since. R.I.P. little black box. You did your job well. I'm not a very organized person. I know this. I'm also fairly lazy, but even I know that in a company like this, you need systems in place and structure so that A, more than one person knows the secrets to Pandora's box, so to speak, the rest of the company, how things operate, how things are going to be fixed if they go down. There's nothing in manuals. There's no, there's no in case of emergency, you know, flip the page, whatever. There's just nothing. This guy had it set up and it was working fine until it wasn't. Yeah, that's just bad idea all the way around. You really got to have a safety net of sorts to avoid too much downtime. I mean, this guy was pretty lucky. He was able to get things up and running in a half a day or whatever it was. But yeah, I mean, sometimes people don't get that lucky and you end up with weeks of downtime or maybe more. So Eesh. quick and simple job. I work at a phone retail store, so a good 70% of my job is helping people with phone issues. I have hundreds of stories of people walking in and yelling that their phone isn't working, but I feel like this one thought quick is kind of worth a mention. What? Anyway. It happened today, but I had an elderly lady come into my store and came up to me because I was sitting by the door at my small desk island I claim as my own. Hello, welcome to store name. How can I help you? I asked. The lady looks at me and begins telling me she had just bought a phone for her son. She went on saying he hates the phone but needs one for medical reasons. I was beginning to think maybe there was an issue with the phone when she asks, He wants to know how to save contacts to his address book. Excuse me? I asked, kind of thrown for a loop there. Old lady, is there a manual or something I can look up to help him? I kind of looked at her for a second before responding, Uh, Google. Elderly lady, that's it? What do I look up? Um, how to put contacts in phone? Usually helps if you put the model type in too. Elderly lady, oh, okay. And with that, she walked out. I kind of gave my manager a look as she walked out. I have other stories with more violent customers, but thought this helped as a first post. Well, that was kind of wholesome. It still amazes me, though. And it's not just elderly people. Trust me on this. I have relatives that are, well, my kids. Some of my kids. There, I said it. They ask me questions, and I don't mind them asking me. You know, I'm the, I'm the dad of the house. You know, I'm supposed to be asked certain questions. But there's some questions that they'll ask me, and I'll just turn around and kind of look at them like, you just stood there with your phone in hand asking me that question that you know I probably don't know the answer to, but I could damn sure Google the answer. Put the model name in, you know, how do I do X with Y model of this product? 
And, you know, they're just as capable of researching as I am. And I don't know if it's a generational thing, maybe. Um, but it's just funny to me that so many people can find answers to anything they've ever wanted to know on this little computer that's more powerful than the first at least three, maybe half a dozen machines that went into space, the moon, and whatever. It's just amazing. Wait, why is it so wobbly? I was doing an in-person tech support at work one time when a user came in with her laptop. Says it refuses to turn on. I could just picture a laptop sitting there with its arms crossed. No. She puts it on the desk and I start pressing buttons. Why is this wobbly? The table is perfectly flat. I lift it up to look under and nothing. Tilt it over to check the underside. Wait, why is it bulging like that? Yeah, it does that. Gets a bit warm, too. <laughs> My eyes slowly expand to the size of a dinner plate as realization sets in. Right. You're going to take this now, very carefully, and bring it up to the hardware guys to safely dispose of. And if it catches fire, try to drop it far away from flammable things. <laughs> Apparently, she saw no issues there. Incidentally, another time a guy came in saying that his laptop is dispensing an endless supply of sugar. I shake it a bit. Damn, so it seems. Take it to the hardware, guys. Turns out his laptop was full of those dehumidifying silica crystals. <laughs> Sugar, don't eat, don't eat the silica gel. Don't eat the silica gel. Not every type of silica gel or desiccant will do this, but some will swell up and really play havoc with your intestines. So, and no, I haven't done it personally, but I've heard stories. Of course, anything's better than those little things that you would put in your garden, little crystals that swell up to like, you know, 50 times their size and can hold water and like sort of self water your plants. Uh, it's the same material that's in like diapers, um, you know, women's products, things like that. And, uh, I think it's the same material actually that the little ball orbies are made out of that are different colors and can swell up with water. And you, you know, you use them around like plants in a vase or something like that. Uh, yeah, bad idea. As for the lady with the laptop, most people have no idea that batteries swell like that or why, even if they do know that the battery swells, they don't have any clue why. Honestly, at that point, I would have told her to take it outside, set it on the sidewalk, and call the hardware guys from there and just wait for them to come get it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess odds are pretty good that it wouldn't have caught fire just in that instance, but you never know. It literally is not my fault you almost killed someone. I've done tech support for the medical field for over 10 years now. And the main thing that I have learned in that time is that medical staff think that they personally know what is best. This is back when I did computer support call center for a pharmacy software company. I got threatened by a pharmacist once because the patient couldn't have penicillin. Deadly reaction to the stuff. The pharmacist didn't check the warning box on the computer that turns the border of the charts red so that they know not to give penicillin because he didn't think it was necessary. Gave the patient a medication that had penicillin in it, even though at the top of the file it said in all caps, DO NOT GIVE PATIENT PENICILLIN. Patient goes into a coma, gets serious, they track down the reason to the pharmacist. Know what the pharmacist said? It's tech support's fault. The software's faulty. And when he talked to me, told me that it was my fault the patient almost died, and if he did, I was going to be charged with manslaughter. Come to find out that was what the patient's lawyer was threatening the pharmacy with. Yeah, good luck getting that to stick in court of law. If that patient dies, and even if the patient doesn't die, that lawyer has got no problem getting that case to stick in a court of law for the pharmacist and the company the pharmacist works for on a whole because it's definitely direct negligence on the part of the pharmacist. The software was working fine. It was bright red. It was marked, do not give penicillin to this patient, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you just didn't read the chart right and it's your fault. You can't blame tech support for that. This guy not only can 
the pharmacy department be blamed and the company be blamed, but this guy can be personally held liable in a civil suit. So, uh, yeah, he's going to be screwed either way. If the guy dies, he's totally, he's totally done in the pharmacy. Well, he might be done in the pharmacy field anyway, but yep. Reading is fundamental, kids. Plug in the network cable, Kronk. Wrong cable. On an average Tuesday, I get what seemed like an average call. User can't print. Printer showing offline. Other people can print to it, so I start with a driver reinstall. No dice. So after another hour of troubleshooting, it turns out he can't print anywhere wired, but he can print wirelessly. And can print to the office okay. My fellow level 1 and level 2 techs are beyond stumped, so we decide to punt the ticket over to our network team. Not even five minutes later, a network tech walks over asking me if I tried the other network cable at the user's desk. After about 10 seconds of me looking at him, like how a cow stares at an oncoming train, he said offices that are recently absorbed into our company may still have a network connection for their old company. Why do we even have this cable? Turns out it's because this office was only recently acquired and they still needed to have the old connection available to access old resources that hadn't been migrated or won't be being migrated. I call the very patient, bless him, user back and lo and behold there was a second cable there. Swap the cables and voila, printing perfectly. Apparently the vendor who did the cabling setup plugged in the wrong cable, and given the quality of the cabling job they did, I'm shocked this was the only problem they had. It all made sense in the end, but boy was it a pain getting there. And my pain has kept at least one of my coworkers from going through this, as we had a near identical situation in another office a few weeks later. Yeah, I have no idea how any of the logistics for that work when one company's absorbed or purchased by another company, and uh, they want to set up a whole new network because... They don't want to rely on the old system or whatever. They want to migrate the old system into the new system. But there's got to be a better way than having cables that are sitting right next to each other or different ports or whatever. And that would confuse the hell out of everything. So you tell me if you need to get back to old resources, you got to get under your desk and, you know, swap cables. And I don't know. There's got to be a better way to do that. But I wouldn't even know where to start. So you guys probably know better than me. Requiem for an R710. A while back, I worked a summer for my college professor who also owned a cybersecurity company. It was a good gig. I got experience and he got cheap seasonal labor to answer phones and crunch tickets. Win-win. One of my jobs was processing hardware. He was pulling in tons of hardware for contracts or expansion or other stuff. I would get a ticket, match ticket to hardware, take hardware from point to point, and install or uninstall it. From there, admins used iDrax, <laughs> I'm assuming that's how it's said, to set it up or whatever the Cisco HP Super Micro Alphabet Soup is. It was a fairly smooth system. One day I start my tickets with a load of R710s. These things were both dirty and pretty beat up. Most worked, but the top one had an error and wouldn't respond on iDRAC. I pull it, and the motherboard is fried, like completely cooked. I submit my ticket and move on. It's just another server to me, after all. About three hours later, I get a visit from the CEO or professor himself. He asked some very particular questions about the R710 that it had died, and then when he double checks my analysis he agrees it's dead and not worth replacing. He pulls the drives and does the backups himself, then submits the decommissioning ticket for Monday. Monday rolls around and I walk in to find the office full of business professional dressed people I hadn't seen before. These people are all business partners and former employees and there's even some contract holders in the mix. Most of the employees are there pre-COVID and I'm a bit concerned. I missed an email or a memo or something. Normally, a server decommissioning takes a few minutes and there's no fuss or fanfare. Not today. As I wheel my cart with a dead R710 out into the hallway, the MFR plays the bagpipe rendition of Amazing Grace over the PA system, and all these business people line the halls looking both sad and like they're trying to hold in laughter. 
Before I load the server onto my desk, this wonderfully strange CEO steps up and goes into a full-on eulogy. Gone before its end-of-life date. A truly kind and gentle processor. And both empathetic and extremely expandable were the highlights I remember. Since there I was with a dead server and 20 people all standing around me in a room slightly bigger than my dorm. What I didn't know was that this was the origin. This was the first server his company bought. The first one to serve clients. The one the entire company ran on for years. Its name was Winslow. And it had gone with the CEO to demonstrate his services and win for his first multi-million dollar contract. After this, we retreated to a free-to-us company sushi lunch. And then I got a special order to mount the server on the wall instead of throwing it away. As far as I know, it's still there. <laughs> I've had a lot of equipment die over the years, whether I worked for somebody else or it was for me personally. And, you know, while I might have felt a slight tinge of guilt when throwing something into the scrap heap or the recycle heap or whatever, I don't think I ever thought about having services for it. Um, but I could sort of see, you know, doing some symbolic ceremonial thing. Maybe. I mean, it's kind of funny. <laughs> a little weird, but funny. Calculator calling. I worked as head of IT in a municipal office, and part of my job description was help desk things. Well, one day a kindergarten called and let me know their smartphones don't work. Not willing to elaborate any further, I thought, well, guess I gotta drive there and see what's up myself. For context, they had a landline phone for the past few decades, and only recently transitioned to smartphones with VOIP so that they don't have to leave the children to take calls. I get there and the older, about 50-ish lady explained to me that she receives calls and texts but can't call herself. I try everything out and it works like a charm. So I ask her to show me what she's doing when she wants to call someone. Well, I open the number app and type in the number. She proceeds to open the calculator and type in the telephone number. Then I put the phone to my ear but nothing happens. I calmly explain that this is indeed not a landline phone and she needs to use the phone app. Although I can understand the confusion, smartphones have been around since the lady was 30-ish. Well, 20 minutes drive there and back for nothing, I guess. Oh my god, can you imagine opening up the calculator app on your phone or PC or whatever and typing in a phone number? Oh gosh. So nobody trained this lady? Like, there's no cheater note somewhere that for when they got these things that would show, you know, what to do? And I just, <laughs> I just can't even imagine. At least it was an easy call and you got out of the office for, you know, an hour or whatever. Oh my. Alright guys, well thanks for sharing a little bit of your day with me today. I hope you enjoyed these stories like I did. And if you did, do me a favor, give us a like, subscribe to the channel, give us a thumbs down, whatever you feel like. Just uh, interact a little bit for two reasons. One, because I like the interactions and like to know how you guys feel and uh, maybe do something for you guys. You know, I try to, this channel's for you after all. I mean, it's for me, but I like to do things that you like too. And also because the algorithm on YouTube and on Spotify really like it, so... All right, till the next one. We'll see you.